Hello and welcome back. This podcast is on spirit spouses. You're listening to Mon Animism, a very convoluted guide. And I'm your podcast host, Sarah Jane. On last week's podcast, we're discussing the misappropriation of animal guides. Now we may consider that some rituals may be superstitions rather than being truly life enhancing but no one starts any kind of activity without an end goal to work towards. Surely we all believe for a reason and the reason for modern animism is that we're future forward. We want to be incorporating more, more new knowledge, more new science but no one starts that kind of activity to move forward and so we're prepared to detach ourselves from that which has gone and passed, that which no longer has any value. And for me, the concept of animal spirits, it's, it's not that it's inconsequential, but they're a product of our history, our ancestry animal worships about ancestry. So there's a whole sense of misplaced thoughts. The understanding of the roles of animals in the environment hasn't entirely married with the spirituality to the point where we need it to be. But we do look forward to a point in the future where that will happen and we leave room in our philosophies for the point in which we can see inequality between ourselves and our neighbours. But just to prove how far we still need to go Let's discuss the equivalent topic of spirit spouses. Now this is not ubiquitous belief. Its application is used in folk religion far more widely than animal spirits and yes its use is much more demonised. A spirit spouse is a person, they're usually of the opposite sex, who comes to you when you enter a trance or when you're in a dream state similar to a spirit animal. For some people, a spirit spouse is important for mediumship or channeling. The spirit spouse may be able to take over the person physically. But for other cultures, a spirit spouse will do one's bidding. They'll enable the practitioners to have magical or psychic powers. Some people get spirit spouses through dreams and others there is an intricate process where one must either seduce the spirit person or go a series of tasks to prove their worthiness or loyalty. Notably, unlike animal spirits, spirit spouses are referred to in both Christian and Jewish cultures as part of the remnants of our past beliefs. In the first example we notice how Nuns are sometimes referred to as the Brides of Christ. This is in reference to their undergoing religious and spiritual commitment to the Church. This idea of the spirit spouse also translates to the concept of a succubus, a demon to come to men in their dreams and seduce them. And we were taught the understanding that these women were undertaking this role because they wanted to steal the men's souls through this form of intimacy. In Jewish traditions, the idea of the spirit spouse 
is translated as Lilith, a kind of she-demon that appears in the night to seduce menfolk. The Lilith is also the derivation of Lilith, who in the Hebrew tradition was the first wife of Adam, later known as the first witch or the earliest ancestor of the witches. Although the earliest form of Lilith, the Lilith, supposes that Adam's other wife before Eve was in fact a spirit spouse who only existed in spirit form. And the problem these religions have been facing is that in creating monotheism, they've naturally reduced the role of women of the goddess. And I've spoken about this in a previous podcast. But the ability to take a spirit spouse is an essential part of becoming a shaman. You need to get that spirit you can communicate with. And someone who can take your instructions is an essential necessity. But for monotheism, having answers from a source outside the religion is highly heretical. And for this reason, spirit spouses are widely condemned. Even today, this is the method of getting conversion from native folk beliefs to Christianity by mentioning the impropriety of taking a spirit spouse. It questions a person's fidelity when they take a spirit spouse to suggest that a supernatural partner is a corruption of a person's moral values. To a lesser extent, it's imagined that a person with a spirit spouse must hold the physical and material world to be less valuable. Plus we have their established but overrated dichotomy of good and evil, where energy if not the purest and the highest quality becomes synonymous with hell and the corruption of spirit. At Christianity and the other Abrahamic religions, they deny the, the value of, of the earthly energies, such as the Kundalini or the Tantien of the East traditions. So it's unsurprising they've placed so many taboos upon sex and sexuality. And this refers back to my podcast on sexual magic and the patriarchy. But without recapping that, let's look for other uses of a spirit spouse. One might automatically assume that one's spirit spouse would be of the opposite sex. But this doesn't always appear to be the case. Especially in the case of spirit mediumship where no sexual attraction occurs between the two parties. Some cultures promote same-sex spirit spouses and or androgyny in their shamanic practitioners, whereby the shaman walks between two worlds and therefore would not be perceived as being either male or female. This is a situation that would on occasion allow a shaman to make a spirit spouse from the sex that they were assigned to as birth. But this is not to be mistaken for a person being trans or intersex. This is a spiritual activity so the practitioner will emphasize with the difference and spiritual beings. And as a term for this it was recently given to American First Peoples culture, the name being two spirit, two spirited, as if two souls were inhabiting one body. There is this is a definite form of spirituality where one's body may host a second spirit to talk through you. But the two forms of spirit spouse do not cross over, 
Cultures that promote spirit mediumships, or two souls in one body, are not the same cultures who believe that one gets control over their spirit spouses through sexual activity. Two spirits are highly deified and widely regarded. They're not perceived as being sexually attracted to their spiritual partners. In some East Asian and Polynesian Anuist cultures, the practitioner channels their spirit spouse and will spend one day of their week dressed up as the opposite sex as a way of honouring or working with their spirit spouse. But then on other occasions, the shaman's garbs are permanently non-gender specific. One might wonder what the point of a spirit spouse might be to a modern animist. For surely, if one's promoting a giant universe-shaped consciousness or a joint planetary soul, what would the point in us in mentioning spirit spouse and their usefulness? Do we not suggest that spirit spouses deny the unity of all the species? Does it promote the superiority of humanity through intellectualism, that you can only get these kind of activities and could send missions to a humanised being. Or perhaps some people like the idea of spirit spouses, but imagine them to be archetypes or representation of our family and history, like the way that animal spirits were. Mm-hmm. But it appears that people who use spirit spouses, they don't exist for the purpose of ancestor worship. Instead, we suppose when we work with a spirit spouse, we're trying to break the concept of otherness and this dichotomy between heaven and hell. We see that spirit spouses can create the spiritual marriage, but this actually represents the opening of the base energies. So it breaks the dichotomy of the only being heaven and hell. There are other energies that we can work through. We see that spirit spouses work us towards androgyny, the crossing of one sex through spirit mediumships. So it perceives that we're not just one sex or one being, that we have multi-facets. We can be in any place, any person, any personality. And also the spirit spouse is useful in our movement from the earthly physical experience to the energetic, emotional essence of ourselves. And these are the roles of the spirit spouse.